So that actually works for a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about tonight because nobody knows suffering like the Buffalo Bills and the Cleveland Browns, right? We, as, as Cleveland sports fans especially, we know suffering. We know hard times. Um, go ahead and, and turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in there tonight again. We're going to continue our study. We're going to be in chapter 1, and uh, we'll pick up in verse 12 here in a couple of minutes. But, man, our, our, our fandom as, as Cleveland fans, we know about suffering. We know about being close and, and missing out. We know about heavy losses. But we don't know anything about what Paul knows or knew about suffering, right? And so we're going to see what real suffering is all about. We've, we feel sorry for ourselves as sports fans, and man, look, as a sports fan, it is suffering. It has been a long, <laughs> long, difficult suffering time. But Paul, we're going to see, has a, an incredible perspective in the midst of being in a prison in Rome. Right? He can't get to his friends in these different churches that he's started, and so he has to write letters. He has no other choice. He can't get there himself. And so he's in bondage. And we've seen before when we studied the book of Ephesians, he has an awesome perspective on that bondage. And so tonight we're going to look at how in the world can I rejoice like the way Paul was rejoicing in the midst of the bondage that he was experiencing, in the midst of terrible suffering, right? So you're, you're locked in one place, you can't go, you can't get to your friends, you know that they need encouragement, and in the midst of your bondage, you want to lift them up, right? That's an incredible perspective. Amen. When you're thinking about what others need, and you're in the midst of suffering. And so, man, if anybody needs that, we need that today. We need to know when hard times come, how do we continue to push forward? How do we continue to see things the way God says they actually are? To have the ability to rejoice in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of, of bondage. And some circumstances can absolutely feel like bondage. Some stuff you can't get out of. And so what do you do? How do you look at that? And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at those things. Um, there's, there's all kinds of different categories of suffering, but there's really basically only two categories of the cause of suffering. All right. And so first of all, we're going to look at a couple of verses here. 1 Peter 2, verse 20. These should be up on the screen. It says, For what glory is it? If when we be buffeted or punished for your faults, or if ye be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. The first category of where does suffering come from is, well, sometimes it's your fault. Right? Sometimes we make terrible decisions, sometimes we're selfish, and we bring suffering on ourselves. Right? Some of the, the things that we suffer are the consequences of bad decisions. Right? That's, that's just life, and we're all growing up, and we're figuring that out as we go. Right? My, my son, when he was four years old, he found out it's a bad decision to jump from the sixth step. You can handle the fourth, maybe sometimes the fifth, but you jump from the sixth step, you hit your chin on your knee, and, and you're suffering all of a sudden because you made a bad decision. Right? And that one hurts, and it hurts for a while. And hopefully that lesson sticks, right? And, and so some of the suffering that we, we incur is, is our own fault, and it's just part of growing. Uh, the second category we also see in 1 Peter, and it's in chapter 3, verse 14. It says, But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. 
and be not afraid of their terror, neither, neither be troubled. Well, for righteousness sake, that means you did everything right. You did everything the way God said you should do it, and for some reason, suffering still came your way. And it's because of someone else, all right? So it's, it's the source of suffering is either your fault or it's somebody else's fault. Well, you may say there's, what about that third category? And, and we call that one bad luck, bad luck, bad, bad luck, or life stinks, right? Well, you know, life just stinks, and sometimes bad stuff happens. And, and it's not somebody else that did anything specifically to you, and it's not anything that you did wrong. Well, if we, if we track back to Adam and Eve, and we're not going to go there yet, but if we go back to the story of Adam and Eve, this place wasn't supposed to have bad luck. Our lives weren't supposed to have any life stinks moments. That's not how God designed it. It's our sin and our sin nature that brought all of that stuff into the mix. So it is somebody's fault. It's kind of both categories. Life stinks because we're sinners and so is everybody else. Right? We broke the system. God created it perfect and we messed it up. And now the consequences of sin ends up being, you know, landing in your lap. Life does stink sometimes. And so it is, it is our fault. It is somebody else's fault. But, but at the same time, it's, it's something you've got to deal with. You've got to move forward. You can't just blame somebody and sit still. It's not going to help you. So, the one we can never accurately turn and blame is God. God set it up perfectly. God gave perfect instructions. God set it up so that we would have a perfect relationship with him, and we broke it. Right? We can't accurately, rightfully, or righteously blame God for the situation that we're in. If you want further evidence of that, go check out the book of Job sometime. Right? God had it set up perfectly. You know, Job was walking with him in, a, in an awesome relationship, and Satan came along and intervened. Yes, God allowed circumstances to change, but God didn't cause those circumstances to change, and God was there all along. 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. You know what that verse is basically saying? Life stinks. It's going to come. But don't let it happen to you because you continually are doing wickedness. Because you're continually living selfishly. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Philippians 1.29 For unto you is it, it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And this sounds like it, you know, God has predetermined if, if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that, well, he's just got a whole lifelong of life stinks waiting for you, right? This is just what it's going to be about. It's all about suffering. You're going to be miserable. No, that's not, that's not what it is at all, right? This world and this world system is running contrary to God. If you're running with God, you're going to run into somebody, and that's going to cause friction, and that's going to bring persecution. That's what he's saying. This world system, sin, your own flesh, is running contrary to the direction God's running in. And when you turn around and start going his direction, this world's not going to stand for it. Persecution comes when you obey God, and someone is offended by your belief and your obedience, to the point to where they feel they need to take action to stop you whether it's just words or it's physical or, or whatever it is. 
And sometimes that can be something, you know, in, in an illness, you know, no individual person can necessarily cause that. It just may be the circumstances that, that Satan is using in your life to try and get you to stop what you're doing for the Lord. So that brings us to Philippians 1, verse 12. We're going to read to verse 21, and then we're going to get into our study for tonight. So Philippians 1, verse 12, it says, But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started on the sheet. Lord, thank you so much for Paul's willingness to suffer. And, and his perspective to see that he's capable of rejoicing in the midst of it. His joy has not been stolen by his circumstances. He's in bondage, but he's not in bondage to the circumstance. He's not a slave to the situation. He's, he's a free man surrendered to you. And Lord, I pray that you help us all tonight to have that look, that perspective, uh, the outlook that, you know, even though there are things we can't get out of or can't, change, we can still rejoice, because you're here with us, and we can magnify you in the midst of this thing. Uh, We love you, and we pray that you guide us through your word tonight. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're just going to start off with a question. Why can we rejoice in the midst of suffering? We're going to see three different things that Paul points out to us here, and the first one is because our bonds make evident who we belong to, right? Who you're in bondage to makes evident who you belong to. Does that make sense? Verses 12 and 13 said, But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. We're going to look at that specific phrasing, bonds in Christ. Remember when we were in the book of Ephesians and, in, and Paul referred to himself as the prisoner of Jesus Christ or the prisoner of the Lord. But he was in prison in Rome. Wasn't he the prisoner of Rome? He said, no, that's the circumstance. I'm a prisoner. I belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. And because he belonged to Jesus Christ, he says his bonds in Christ are manifest or made known or apparent in all the palace was the first place. And so that's, that just shows us that to those in our daily life, I mean, our bonds in Christ ought to be manifest or shown to those around us, those in our daily life. Philippians 4.22, it says, All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. 
So Paul has had such an effect in prison that the, the people in Caesar's household in Rome are getting saved because he calls them the saints. Right? There's, there's people in this jail system that Paul is in and, and within Caesar's elect or whatever you want to call them, right? they're getting saved because Paul's bondage is not to Rome, it's to Christ. He's having, having an impact on, on their lives. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The first individuals of the church were instructed to begin at home. Right? Make sure that you begin where you're at, right here, right now. Make sure that everybody around you all the time, your, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, make sure they know about your bondage in Christ. Make sure that they know that you belong to Jesus. Then go to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost. Judea was, was basically, you know, we're in New Philadelphia. Judea was kind of T County. I don't know if it was Hillbilly, but it, but it was the county, right? It was kind of the surrounding area. It was, you go from the city to the surrounding area to the neighboring cities to the uttermost part of the world, right? So the focus, first and foremost for us, Ought to be that everybody that sees us every single day has no doubt who we belong to. Amen. Who, who do you belong to? That's who you're in bondage to. Are you in bondage to your situation? Or are you like Paul, in bonds in Christ Jesus? The second is to those beyond our current location. And Paul took this so seriously that, that he made sure that everyone that heard from him knew of his bonds, Right? Not his imprisonment in Rome, but, but who he belonged to in Christ. Ephesians 3.1, I just mentioned this. He says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Philemon, um, verse one, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He writes the same thing to Timothy. He says, Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Why? Why does he keep bringing this up? Because if you can get this, Timothy, the message has a way of running further than you have the ability to take it. If you can get that you're, you're a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that message just travels. Right? That's a catalyst for, for the message of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.10, we've, we've seen this a couple of weeks ago. This is, this is a verse that God has hit me with, and, and I just want to keep reminding myself of this, so I'm going to keep reminding you guys. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace, or and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Amen. Paul says... The Lord did not waste the grace that he bestowed on me. He didn't give it to me and it, and it ended up in vanity. It ended up empty. No, I, he, he bestowed his grace on me and I worked my tail off. But he got all the results. Right? He magnifies and multiplies the effort that we put in using the grace that he provided in the first place. It says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You see, I, I suffer for Christ. I belong to Christ. And he just keeps that thing running. And he impacts more people than I ever dreamed would even care. 
and I find out somebody down the road was impacted by somebody that I led to Christ that led somebody else to Christ, right? It just keeps traveling because of who you belong to. Do you belong to the circumstance or do you belong to Christ? The second reason we can rejoice in the midst of suffering is because our bonds encourage others to speak up. Our bonds encourage others to speak up. <coughs> when we suffer for Christ, not just suffering in general, when we suffer for Christ, there will be two different reactions in those around us. Right? <coughs> Looking in verses 14 to 18, it says, Many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Notice everybody here he's talking about are his brothers, right? He's, he's not even necessarily talking about the lost world coming against him. There's two reactions that people are going to have when you're completely sold out for Christ. And those may be negative, and they may be positive, and they may come from people you thought are on your own side, and you'd be surprised by some of the reactions. He says, some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one... The first ones he's talking about preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of, go- of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. Yea, I will rejoice. Right? Paul says, look, you, you may not believe what I'm saying. You may think that I'm phony, but I'm sold out, it doesn't matter what you think. And you may say, look, this guy, he says he's all sold out. You know, he's sold out to Christ. Look, he's in prison. What a fool. And as they talk about this, this guy's completely sold out to Christ. Somebody somewhere is hearing the message of Jesus Christ, and a guy sold out to him so much so that he's willing to go to prison for the name of Christ. And Paul says, man, keep saying that. Mock me all you want. Yes, I'm sold out for the gospel. Yes, I'm sold out for Christ. Yes, I am in bonds because I believe what you just said. Call me a fool all you want. The message just keeps traveling. Keep, keep saying it. I'm glad you're confident that I'm a fool because you're going to keep talking about Christ. So there's two reactions, and it says that um, in verse 14, it says they're bold to speak the word without fear. And there's, there's two different reactions. There's, there two, there two lacks of fear, if you want to call it that. The first one is there's no fear of God. Right? There's, there's individuals who are preaching Christ out of envy, out of strife, out of contention, with, with the intention to add affliction to Paul's bondage, to, to add mockery to what he's already going through. Paul says they're, they're preaching in pretense. And so if Paul's going to rejoice, and they're, they're not preaching the truth necessarily, and they're spreading lies, but they're spreading the name of Christ, you know, maybe, maybe this makes some of you think, why, why do we care so much about being accurate if we just got to talk about Jesus? Because Matthew 18 says, in verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. Okay, so he, Jesus is agreeing. Offenses come and they go, and it's necessary that they're there. He says, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. He says, look, Paul's rejoicing because God's name is going out. 
Christ's name is going out. Christ has the ability to use his word in whatever way he wants as it's going out. And we'll see in a minute, it doesn't return void. But he says, you can't just take this lightly. You can't just, don't, don't you be the one that does it wrong. Don't you be the one that abuses and is lazy with the truth. Don't, don't be that guy. Because you'll have to answer for what you've done. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11, shows us how God is able to use even those who have bad intentions. It says in verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh, maketh it to bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Right, see, people think that they can mock God by using God's word and by using Christ's name in vain, and, and the truth is still going forth. And God has the ability to, to change lives through his word, no matter who's saying it. So you can, you can share the gospel in, in a group of, you know, say there's some, some young men and you share the gospel with those young men and three of those guys are mocking you and one is totally silent. Maybe he's mocking, maybe he's not. Somebody's listening. Somebody's always listening. God's word doesn't go out and return void. It goes out to accomplish what God sets out to accomplish. Amen. And he has the ability to use even those with poor intentions to mock the gospel, to mock Christ. So some people have no fear of God. But Paul was encouraged by those, letter B, who have no fear of man. He says others shared the gospel, they preached the gospel out of goodwill, out of love, out of defense of the gospel. Paul says they're preaching in truth. 2 Timothy 2.9 says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Now this doesn't mean that, that Paul was an evildoer. He's suffering as if he was an evildoer. He's suffering the same consequences of an evildoer because the world wants to stop him. The devil wants to stop him in what he's doing. What he's saying is, you may stop me, but you can't stop God's word. You can stop me, but God's word just keeps going. If, if I'm faithful to proclaim it, It'll just keep traveling further than I can go. It goes out, and it doesn't return void. It does what God intends it to do to those who hear it and believe it. Hebrews 13, 6. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Right? There's, there's no fear of man, because I fear God. Amen. And I'm going to do what he says to do, and I'm not worried about what other people can do to me. Matthew 10, 28, fear not them, this is Christ talking, which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Why are you afraid of man? He can't do anything to you of, of eternal value, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. There's, there's one place where power dwells, and that's in the Lord. Fear him. Don't fear what man can say or do to you. Ephesians 6, 5, servants. Be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear 
and trembling in singleness of heart, of your heart as unto Christ. And a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A singleness, somebody with singleness of heart, single focus in Christ, that message is going to travel. The third reason, the third thing that Paul shows us that we can take joy because of our bonds is because our bonds engage us in the magnification of Christ. And we see this in verses 19 and 20. Our bonds engage us in the magnification of Christ. This is what we're here to do. He says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. You see, the, the enemy thought, you know, he, Paul's on fire for the Lord. The enemy thought that you just throw a big old bucket of water on this guy through persecution and he's just going to, he's just, the fire's going to go out, right? But Paul was a greasy man, I guess, because that grease fire was, ex, was explosive, right? When that persecution came, it spread, it spread even faster, yeah. right? Oil and water don't mix, right? He was, he, the, the fire was explosive, it was everywhere, and people were getting saved further than Paul ever dreamed. It was, it was catching on everywhere. The, the stronger the persecution, the faster it grew. Amen. And that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, right? Satan, when he first attacks you to stop you, he's going to come full force to try and intimidate you. And he wants you to back down. He wants you to fear him. He wants you to fear what man can do to you. He wants you to fear your reputation being lost. He wants you to think about, well, what if people say things bad about me? What if I lose friends? What if whatever? And if that's not enough to stop you, he starts whispering in your ear. If the full-on frontal attack doesn't stop you, he'll get you with your pride. He'll come around the side. And Paul saw, look, this full-on frontal attack, look what happens when Satan attacks me. And Paul understood, look, Satan's going to change his tactics. So, so Paul, instead of Instead of backing down, instead of just you know, staying put, Paul leaned into the fight. He said, if the, if the response to my you know, being persecuted is that this thing spreads like wildfire, then bring it on. I'm going all in. You're going to have to kill me to stop me. You can't slow down because I'm on the offensive now. You have no choice. You're not going to have time to whisper in my ear because I'm going to kill myself in this effort. I'm a dead man. You can't stop me unless you kill me. And if you kill me, that's gain, and we'll see that in a minute. Amen. The first thing that we, we see Paul experiences here, he experiences freedom from bondage. He says his salvation is coming through this. What is salvation? It's freedom from bondage. Right? He's specifically talking about his bondage in prison. He He's convinced he's going to get out. He says, if not, then the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ is going to be enough. Freedom from bondage. There are two ways that you can be set free from bondage. The first is obvious. Paul says, salvation. I can get, I'm going to get out of this place, and I'm going to be able to come see you. He believed that he, that was going to happen. If that wasn't, the Spirit was going to give him what he needed to survive. We've seen this in Paul's life in other instances. 2 Corinthians 12 Verses 7 through 10 is an incredible example. 
He says in uh, verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Three times I asked God to get rid of this thorn in the flesh. Whatever it was, he doesn't specifically say. Three times that it might depart from me. And he, that's the Lord, said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my grace is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory, rather glory, in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Right, so even though Paul's infirmity never went away, I, I, I asked God three times to take this thing away, God's answer was no. You don't need me to take it away. You have my grace, and that is sufficient. That is enough. So Paul, in that answer, realizes, oh, I am free. I've been set free. I'm still to this world looking in, from the outside, I'm still in bondage. I still have this in infirmity. I still have this ailment. I have this thorn in the flesh. But it doesn't have me. It doesn't own me. I, I'm not subject to it. He wouldn't be a slave to the circumstance. It wouldn't be an excuse as to why he couldn't accomplish something that God had him designed to accomplish, right? I've got it on your sheet here. God's grace allows us to transition our suffering from an excuse of what we cannot do to a magnification of what God can do. Right? Normally, that's what we, we see, our distresses and infirmities and difficulties in our life. We say, look, I would love to, but I can't because whatever. I have this suffering, this difficulty in my life. I can't. But God says my grace is sufficient to transition you from an excuse to magnify my ability as God to pull it off anyway. Amen. Of course you can't pull it off. You couldn't pull it off if you didn't have that suffering in your life. I just needed you to see that you fall short. You have suffering in your life. No, you can't pull it off. I can pull it off. When you fall way short, God is the difference maker. Our flexibility displays God's ability to flex. Right? If you can roll with God's grace and what he supplies, he gets to show off in your life. He gets to show his abilities. He is magnified by what you can't pull off. If it's in your ability, you get credit. And that's not what he's about anyway. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. He said, Hope maketh not ashamed. This hope is what the Spirit was supplying. Right? He said, if, if I can't get out, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ is going to be enough. He's not saying he's going to be supplied with more spirit of Jesus Christ. No, what the Spirit is supplying, the supply of the Spirit, is what he's going to give you. He's going to give you hope. He's going to remind you of his word. 
right? He's, he's the comforter. The comforter is going to do what? He's going to teach you and he's going to remind you of what God said. He's there to comfort you with truth and hope and promise. Hebrews 6.19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Amen. Right? Micah reminded me last week of this verse. It's an awesome verse. Man, hope that we have in Christ is the anchor that's connected to our soul. Right? You throw the anchor out so that you don't drift away. The anchor keeps you connected. It keeps you in place. It keeps you connected to the Lord. It keeps you where he wants you to be. The second thing that we see, Paul had freedom from bondage, even though he was still in bondage. He also had freedom to advance boldly and unashamed. Freedom to advance boldly and unashamed. Romans 1.16 says that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Right? Anybody that believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior gets a taste of the power of the gospel. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. He's not ashamed to suffer for the Lord. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Well, what is it that Paul committed unto to Christ? Well, his life. The same thing I committed to Christ. I gave him my life and he says he's able to keep it. He's able to keep it until the day that Jesus Christ returns to, to take it once and for all, and, and I get a new body. He's able to keep my eternal soul. This life is temporary. In Christ, suffering is temporary. Surrendering our lives to Christ, and, and that life is forever. Psalm 119, verse 46, it says, I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. Amen. What an awesome passage that is. There's, there's several other passages or verses in Psalm 119 that talk about God's testimonies, God's law, God's, God's word being connected with not being ashamed. Right? When, when we're holding tight to God's word and what he says, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in, in clinging to Christ and his word. We see that acted out in, in Paul's life in Acts 26, verses 28 through 29, and even before this, but for time's sake, we'll just read a couple here. Then Agrippa, this is the king at the time, when uh, Paul was in a, a certain region in Rome, says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Right? Paul, up to this point, is sharing his testimony, how he came to know Christ, how he came to surrender to Christ, and the king, who Paul was not ashamed to share in front of, almost was persuaded. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. 
right? His, his physical bonds, he's not wishing that on anybody, but he, wish, he wishes that you were in bondage to Christ. He wishes that, that you could see whatever your circumstances are, you're not a slave to those circumstances, you're, you're a slave to Christ. You belong to him. Those circumstances can't stop him. Yes, they stop us. Yes, they get in the way. Yes, they're difficult. No, we would never ask for them. And no, we would never ask for anybody else to have to suffer like we have. You would never want the worst things you've gone through to have to be put onto anybody else. Nobody wants that. That's what Paul's saying. But, but if you could know, to be a Christian is to take on the name of Christ. To be a servant of Christ, to be in bondage to Christ, to put his name on display. Paul said, you know, (laughs) go ahead and try and stop me. I'm going to press in even harder because I'm a free man and I'm going to go until I can't go anymore. Chances are good that if if you're in this room and, and you're alive, there has been, or there will be, or there currently is some sort of suffering in your life. Right? That's, that's back to that category. Life stinks. It does. Suffering comes and it goes, and sometimes it comes and stays. What sort of suffering and, and where it comes from? You know, we didn't talk about much other than just at the beginning. Sometimes it comes because of our poor choices. If, if you have suffering in your life because you've made bad choices... Well, that's what we're here for. We're here to help you make better choices. We're here to encourage you and love on you and, and help you make better choices and follow the Lord. Let's work together. That's, that's what the church is all about. Hebrews eleven twenty five says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Amen. Right? If that's what your world is and you've chosen to enjoy the pleasures of sin and your season has come to an end and now you have to reap what you've sown well let's let's sow better stuff right let's make better decisions together let's hold each other accountable maybe you're suffering physically because this world is broken and it's just a part of your life or maybe you're suffering because the enemy wants to stop you from advancing He wants to put difficulty in your life so that you don't push anymore. 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16 says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, putting forth the name of Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. If it's suffering that hasn't even come to you because you've been doing what was right, it just came, well, suffer in the name of Christ. Because people see you suffering. And if that can't stop you, somebody's got to get credit for that. And they're, they're going to want to give you credit while well, you're just a really strong-willed person. You're just really determined. Wow, I'm, I'm really impressed by you. And you can say, no, no, no. I quit and whine and hate it all the time. But the grace that God bestowed on me, he makes up the difference. What you're seeing is him. What you're seeing he gets credit for because I can't do this. You have an opportunity in any suffering to point to him. Acts 5.41, it says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. 
I was in the Philippines for a month-long trip, and we were preaching the gospel door-to-door, and one day, immigration showed up and loaded us all on a bus and locked us away for a night. Said we were illegal missionaries. Said they, were, they weren't going to let us go until we paid money. And, you know, somebody had the immigration office or the the U.S. Embassy number in their phone, called them, they came in, shamed shamed the country representatives, and we got out. It's a long, cool story. I can share more details later. We slept on concrete floors and desks. It was pretty cool. And when we got out, my friend Kevin said, man, you guys, like, when we got out, we started hearing horror story after horror story about how even Americans disappear in this system who don't pay. And we're like, holy cow, this is, this is one jacked up, corrupt country. And they're like, yes, you don't understand what God just got you out of. And Kevin said, with, with tears in his eyes, man, God thought I was cool enough to go through that for him. He thought I was cool enough to suffer for his name's glory. And that stuck with me. That's what moved him. That, that moved Paul. I can suffer. He, think, he thinks I'm cool enough to suffer for his name. He thinks I'm cool enough out of all the people that have ever been on the earth to step forward and suffer, and he gets more glory because of what I go through. What a privilege. What an opportunity we have. It doesn't matter where the suffering comes from. He says, man, if it's your fault, don't do that anymore. But if it just happened, or somebody's against you, he must think you're pretty cool. He must think you're pretty, pretty awesome to have around to be able to put himself on display through you. Philippians 1.21, we'll end with this and one other verse. He says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's determination was that if, if persecution spreads the name of Christ faster, and further, then persecution is what I'm going to live. If that's the catalyst that moves Christ's name before more people, then bring it on. For me to live is Christ. My name is Christian. My name's not Paul. My name's not, you know, you know the, the name Saul had all kinds of accolades with it. The name Paul means small. Paul's stepping out of the way so that Christ can get credit. For me to live is Christ. If I'm going to live, they're going to see Christ. If I'm going to live, I'm, I'm going to talk about Christ. They're going to hear about him. They're going to know who I belong to. Go ahead and kill me and see what happens. It's almost like Paul was like, look, bring it on. I wonder what happens. If persecution spreads this thing further and faster, why don't you just go ahead and kill me and see what happens? 2,000 plus years later, what has happened? How many billions of people know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because of Paul's death and the letters that Paul wrote. Bring it on. That's what Paul said. Just, just bring it on. Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We'll finish with one more statement. Suffering is an opportunity. Now this is, this is easy to say when the worst thing in my life right now is I have an achy knee. Right? Oh, poor me. Suffering is an opportunity. I'm going with what Paul is saying. When suffering comes, 
you can give in or you can press on. You can stop. You have the choice. You can give in. It is hard or it wouldn't be called suffering. Nobody's pretending that, that anybody has it worse than anybody else. You can give in or you can press on. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be used for something way bigger than us. And Paul says, man, if you have the right outlook, even in the worst things you've experienced, somehow, if you have this perspective, you can still rejoice. Can't say that I totally understand it. But man, I need need that focus when suffering comes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for men like Paul and and the millions of others that have been in situations to where their lives were at stake and and many lost their lives for your name's sake. And we sit here in a free country, free to think and do whatever we want, free to believe what we want, because so many came before us and died for your name. Lord, I pray that, that we would die to self that we would put you first daily, that we would take up our crosses and follow you, and that we wouldn't worry about our names anymore, but we would want to magnify and have your name magnified by everything we experience in this life. We love you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.